Section 7 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7. I've never had any. Naturally you have not, said the Baroness, stiffening again. So I don't know, said Ingeborg. But every true woman loves little children, said the Baroness. But they must be there, said Ingeborg. One has God-implanted instincts, said the Baroness. But one must see something to practice them on, said Ingeborg. A true woman is all love, said the Baroness, in a voice that sounded very like scolding. I suppose she is, said Ingeborg, who felt that she never could have met one. She had a vision of something altogether soft and squelchy and humid, and at the same time wonderful. Are any of your children at home? she asked, thinking she would like to test her instincts on the younger Glambecks. They are grown up and gone, out into the world, some far away in other countries. Ah, yes, one is lonely. The Baroness became loftily plaintive. It is the lot of parents, lonely, lonely. I had five daughters. It was a great relief to get them all married. There was, naturally, the danger where there were so many of some of them staying with us always. But then you wouldn't have been lonely, said Ingeborg. But then, Frau Pasta, they would not have been married, no. And then, said Ingeborg, interested, you wouldn't have been able to feel lonely. The Baroness gazed at her. These things are nice, you know, said Ingeborg, leaning forward again in her interest. One does like it, somehow, being sad, you know, and thinking how lonely one is. Of course, it's much more delicious to be happy, but not being happy has its jolliness. There's a perfume she sought about in her mind. It's like a wet day. It looks gloomy and miserable compared to what yesterday was like, but there is an enjoyment. And things, she hesitated, groping, things seem to grow, different ones, yet they're beautiful too. But the Baroness, who did not follow and did not want to, for it was not her business to listen to her pastor's wife, drooped an inquiring eye again over Ingeborg's body and cut her tendency to talk more than was becoming in her position short by remarking that she was still very thin. When they had sat there till the coffee was cold, Ingeborg, in a pause of the talk, got up to go. The three others stared at her without moving. Even her own Robert stared uncomprehending. It seemed a lame thing to have to explain that she was now going home. But that was what she did at last, murmur, down to the motionless and surprised Baroness. Are you not feeling well? inquired the Baroness. What is it, Ingeborg? asked Herr Dremmel. The Baron went over to a window and opened it. A little faint, no doubt, he said, adding something about young wives. The Baroness asked her, if she would like to lie down, Herr Dremmel became alert and interested. What is it, little one? he asked again, getting up. I think it would be good if the Frau Pastor rested a little before supper, said the Baroness, getting up too. 
certainly said herr dremmel quite eagerly and with a funny expression on his face ingeborg gazed from one to the other but robert she said wondering why he looked like that oughtn't we to go home dear frau pastor said the baroness quite warmly you will feel better presently believe me there is an hour still before supper come with me and you shall lie down and rest but robert said ingeborg astonished she was however taken away it seemed a sort of sweeping of her away through glass doors down a carpetless varnished passage into a spare bedroom and commanded to put herself on the high white bed with her head a little lower than her feet but she said why you will be better by supper-time oh i know all these things said the baroness who was opening windows and had grown suddenly friendly do you feel sick sick she wondered whether the amount of cake she had eaten had appeared excessive she had had two pieces perhaps there was a rigid local custom prescribing only one she felt again that she was in a net of customs with nobody to explain the baroness seemed quite disappointed when she assured her she did not feel sick at all ought guests to feel sick was it a subtle way of drawing attention to the irrepressibleness of the host's food it then occurred to her that it might very possibly be the custom in these country places to put callers to bed for an hour in the middle of their call and that her omission to put her mother-in-law in there was one of the causes of her tears next to going home as quickly as one did in england she felt going to bed was altogether the best thing this thought that it must be the custom made her instantly pliable with every gesture of politeness she hastened to clamber up on to the billows of feathers and white quilt there was a smell of naphthalin as she sank downwards a smell of careful warfare carried on incessantly with moth the baroness came away from letting in floods of air and looked at her i am sure she said you do feel sick i think i do a little said ingeborg anxious to give every satisfaction it was evidently the right thing to say for her hostess's face lit up she went out of the room quickly and came back with some eau de cologne and a fan ingeborg watched her with bright alert eyes over the edge of a billow of feathers while she fetched a little table and brought it to the bed and arranged these things on it how odd it was she thought greatly interested was the baron simultaneously putting robert to bed in some other room she felt she had grown suddenly popular that she was doing all the right things at last contrasted with its loftiness during the first part of the call the baroness's manner was quite human and warm she put the table close to her side and told her the best thing she could do quite the best thing would be to try and sleep a little 
if she wanted anything she was to ring and the maid tina would appear ah yes she said in conclusion standing for a moment looking down at her and heaving a great sigh that seemed to ingeborg somehow to be pleasurable ah yes when one has said a dear frau pastor one must say b ah yes and she went out again on tiptoe softly closing the door and leaving ingeborg in a state of extreme and active interest and interrogation when one has said a one must say b why must one and what was b what indeed if you came to that was a she listened a moment raised on her elbow her bright head more ruffled than ever after its descent into the billows then she slid down onto the slippery floor and ran across in her stockings to one of the big open windows it looked on to a tangle of garden a sort of wilderness of lilac bushes and syringa and neglected roses and rough grass and hemlock at the back of the house there was nobody anywhere to be seen and she got up on to the sill and sat there in great enjoyment swinging her feet for it all smelt very sweet at the end of the long hot day till she thought the hour the blessed hour must be nearly over then she stole back and rearranged herself carefully on the bed but this is the way of paying calls she thought pulling the quilt up tidily under her chin and waiting for what would be done to her next chapter sixteen they did not get away till nine o'clock there was supper at seven an elaborate meal and they sat over it an hour and a half then came more coffee served on the terrace by servants in white cotton gloves and half an hour later just before they left tea and sandwiches and cakes and fruit and beer ingeborg was now quite clear about the reason for her mother-in-law's tears she saw very vividly how dreadful her behaviour must have seemed that groaning supper-table that piling up as the end of the visit drew near of more food and more and more and the refreshment of bed in the middle i shall invite her all over again she said suddenly determined to make amends when she said this the carriage had finally detached them from sight and sound of the now quite cordial glombacks and was heaving through the sand of the dark wooded road beyond their gate whom will the little one invite asked herr dremmel bending down he had got his arm round her and at the bigger joltings tightened his hold and lifted her a little his voice was tender and when he bent down there was an enveloping smell of cigars and wine mixed with the india rubber of his mackintosh ingeborg knew that for some reason she could not discover she had made herself popular 
there was the distinct consciousness of having suddenly halfway through the visit become a success and she was still going on being a success she felt but why robert was extraordinarily attentive too attentive really for oh what a wonderful night of stars and warm scents it was once they were in the open what a night what a marvel of a night and when he bent over her it was blotted out dear robert she did love him but away there on that low meadow far away over there where a white mist lay on the swampy places and the leaves of the flags that grew along the ditch stood up like silver spears in the moonlight one could imagine the damp cool fragrance rising up as one's feet stirred the grass the perfect solitariness and the perfect silence except for the bittern there was a bittern she had discovered in those swamps if she were over there now lying quite quiet on the higher ground by the ditch quite quiet and alone she would hear him presently solemnly booming whom will the little one invite asked herr dremmel bending down across the whole of the milky way and every single one of all the multitude of scents the night was softly throwing against her face he kissed her very kindly and at unusual length it lasted so long that she missed the smell of an entire clover field your mother said ingeborg when she again emerged heavens and earth said herr dremmel i know now what i did or rather didn't do i know now why she kept saying bratkartoffel oh robert she must have been hurt she must have thought i didn't care a bit and i did so want her to be happy why didn't you tell me tell you what little sheep about their having to be supper and about her having to go to bed to bed did the baron put you put me to bed herr dremmel bent down again and looked a little anxiously at as much of her face as he could see in the moonlight it seemed normal not in the least flushed or feverish he touched her cheek with his finger it was cool little one he said what is this talk of beds only it would save rather a lot of awful things happening if you would just give me an idea beforehand of what is expected it wouldn't take a minute i wouldn't disturb you at your work or anything but at some odd time breakfast for instance or while you're shaving if you would say about beds and things like that one couldn't guess it you know in redchester one didn't do it you see and it's such a really beautiful arrangement oh she suddenly flung her arms round him and held him tight i am glad i married one of you one of me herr dremmel again peered anxiously at her face one of you wonderful people you magnificent spacious people in redchester we got rid of difficulties by running away you face them and overcome them there isn't much doubt is there which is the finer he transferred his cigar to the hand that was round her shoulder and spread his right one largely over her forehead 
it was quite cool who went on ingeborg enthusiastically jerking her head away from his hand would have a custom that makes calls last five hours without rebelling you are too splendidly disciplined to rebel you don't you just set about finding some way of making the calls endurable and you hit on the nicest way i loved that hour in bed if only i'd known that the other day when your mother came the relief of it but my mother began herr dremmel in a puzzled voice then he added with a touch of severity your remarks my treasure are not in your usual taste you forget my mother is a widow oh don't widows do not widows what go to bed now kindly tell me he said with an impatience he concealed beneath calm for he had heard that a husband who wishes to become successfully a father has to accommodate himself to many moods what is it you are really talking about why about your not explaining things to me in time what things about your mother having to go to bed why should my mother have to go to bed oh robert because it's the custom it is not why do you suppose it is the custom what when i've just been put there and you saw me go ingeborg oh don't call me ingeborg ingeborg this is levity i am prepared for much accommodating of myself to whims in regard to food and kindred matters but am i to endure levity for nine months she stared at him you went to bed because you were ill he said i wasn't she said indignantly did he too think she did not know how to control herself in the presence of cake what you were not there was a note of such sharp disappointment in his voice that in her turn she peered at his face now kindly tell me robert she said giving his sleeve a slight pull what is it you are really talking about you did not feel faint you feel quite well you do not feel ill after all again the note of astonished disappointment but why should i feel ill then why did you ask to be taken home almost before we had arrived for the first time she heard anger in his voice anger and a great aggrievedness almost before we'd arrived we'd been there hours you hadn't told me a call meant supper almighty heaven he cried am i to dwell on every detail of life am i personally to conduct you over each of the inches of your steps do you regard me as an elementary school can you not imagine can you not calculate probabilities can you not construct some searchlight of inference of your own and illuminate with it the outline of at least the next few hours she gazed at him a moment in astonishment well she said if her father had asked her only one of these questions in that sort of voice she would have been without an answer beaten down and crushed but robert had not had the steady continuous frightening of her from babyhood he could not hold over her like an awful rod that she owed her very existence to him 
he could not claim perpetual gratitude for this remote tremendous gift bestowed on her in the days of her unconsciousness he was a kindly stranger appointed by the church to walk hand in hand with her along the path of grown-up life he had admired her and kissed her and quite often during their engagement had abased himself at her feet also she had seen him at moments such as shaving i believe she said after another astonished pause that you're scolding me and you're scolding me because you're angry with me and you're angry with me robert is it possible you're angry with me because i'm not ill he threw away his cigar and seized her in his arms and began to whisper voluminously into her ear what she kept on saying what you're tickling me what i can't hear but she did in the end hear and drew herself a little back from him to look at him with a new interest it seemed the oddest thing that he so busy so nearly always somewhere else in thought so deeply and frequently absent from the surface of life so entirely occupied by his work that often he could hardly remember he had a wife should want to have yet another object of the kind added unto him a child and that she who lived altogether on the surface who knew as it were the very taste of each of the day's minutes and possessed them all who never lost consciousness of the present and never for an instant let go of her awareness of the visible and of the now should be without any such desire but she said we're so happy we're so happy as we are it is nothing compared to what we would be but i haven't even begun to get used to this happiness yet to the one i've got you will infinitely prefer the one that is yet to come but robert don't rush me along don't let us rush past what we've got let us love all this thoroughly first he looked at her very gravely we have now been married two months he said i become anxious to-night i cannot tell you how glad i was and then it was nothing after all she gazed at him with a feeling of a new incumbency he had said the last words in a voice she did not know with a catch in it robert she said quickly putting out her hand and touching his with a little soft stroking movement she wished above all things to make him perfectly happy always she had loved making people happy and she was so grateful to him so grateful for the freedom she had got through him that just her gratitude even if she had not loved him would have made her try to do and be everything he wished but she did love him she certainly loved him and here was something he seemed to want beyond everything and that she alone could provide him with he turned his head away and as he did this did she see something actually glistening in his eyes glistening like something wet in an instant she had put her arms round him of course i do of course i want one she said rubbing her cheek up and down his mackintosh some heaps of course will have them 
everybody has them of course i'll soon begin don't mind my not having been ill to-night i'm so sorry i will be ill dear robert i don't know i had to be ill but i will be soon i'm sure i will be i i feel quite like soon being ill now he patted her face her face still turned away good little wife he said good little wife she felt nearer to him than she had ever felt so close in understanding and sympathy she had seen tears a man's tears of what tremendous depths of feeling were they not the signal the sentence a strong man's tears floated up from somewhere and hung about her mind she pressed him to her in a passion of desire to make him altogether happy to protect him from feeling too much she held him like that her cheek against his arm rubbing it up and down every now and then to show how well she understood till they got home when he lifted her down from the carriage at their door she slipped her hand round the back of his neck and kept it there a moment with the tenderest lingering touch dear robert she whispered her lips on his ear while he lifted her down and implicit in the words was the mother assurance the yearning mother promise oh little thing little man thing i'll take care of you she hung about the parlour and the passage while he went as he said for a moment into his laboratory for a final look around waiting for him in a strangely warmed exalted state entirely at one with him suddenly very intimate sure that after letting her see things so sacred as tears he would only want to spend the rest of the evening with her being comforted and reassured held close to her heart talking sweetly with her in the quiet dark garden but there were six saucerfuls of differently treated last year's rye ready on the laboratory table for counting and weighing herr dremmel beheld them and forgot the world he began to count and weigh he continued to count and weigh he ended by counting and weighing them all and it was dawn before satisfied and consoled for his lost afternoon it occurred to him that perhaps it might be bedtime chapter seventeen the winter came before ingeborg after many false alarms due to her extreme eagerness to give robert the happiness he wanted was able to assure him with certainty that he would presently become a father and i she said looking at him with a kind of surprised awe now that it had really come upon her i suppose i will be a mother herr dremmel remarked with dryness that he supposed in that case she would and refused to become enthusiastic until there was more certainty he had been disappointed during the summer so often her zeal to meet his wishes made her pounce upon the slightest little feeling of not being well and run triumphantly to his laboratory daring its locked door defying its sacredness to tell him the great news 
she would stand there radiantly saying things that sounded like paraphrases of the scripture and almost the first german she really learned and used was the german so familiar in every household for being of good hope for being in blessed circumstance for some time herr dremmel greeted these tidings with emotion and excitement but as the summer went on he had become so incredulous that she fainted twice in december before he was convinced then indeed for nearly a whole day his joy was touching one cannot however keep up such joy and ingeborg found that things after this brief upheaval of emotion settled back again into how they were before except that she felt extraordinarily and persistently ill well she had had the most wonderful summer she had got that anyhow tucked away up the sleeve of her memory and could bring it out and look at it when the days were wet and she felt cold and sick the summer that year in east prussia had been a long drought a long bath of sunshine and ingeborg lived out in it in an ecstasy of freedom her body light and perfectly balanced did wonders of exploration in the mighty forests that began at the north of the kokensee lake and went on without stopping to the sea she would get robert's dinner ready for him early and then put some bread and butter and a cucumber into a knapsack with her german grammar and paddle the punt down the lake tie it up where the trees began and start nothing seemed to tire her she would walk for miles along the endless forest tracks just as much suited to her environment just as harmonious and as much a creature of air and sunshine as the white butterflies that fluttered among the enormous pine trunks every now and then for sheer delight in these things she would throw herself down on the springy delicious carpet of whortleberries and lie still watching the blue-green tops of the pine trees delicately swaying backwards and forwards far away over her head against the serene northern sky they made a gentle sighing noise in the wind it was the only sound except the occasional cry of a woodpecker or the cry immensely distant of a hawk nobody but herself seemed to use the forests it was the rarest thing that she met a woodman or children picking whortleberries when she did she was much stared at the forests were quite out of the beat of tourists or foreigners and the indigenous ladies were too properly occupied by indoor duties to wander even if they liked forests away from their home anchorage and for those whose business sent them into these lonely places to come across somebody belonging to the class that can have dinner every day regularly in a house if it likes and to the sex that ought to be there cooking it was an amazement the young lady however seemed so happy that they all smiled at her when she looked at them they supposed she must be 
someone grown white in a town and come to stay the summer weeks with one of the crown foresters that would explain her detachment from duty her knapsack and the color of her skin anyhow just her passing made their dull day interesting and they would watch her glinting in and out of the trees till at last hardly distinguishable from one of the white butterflies the distance took her when she was quite hot she would sit down in a carefully chosen spot where if possible a deciduous tree a maple or a bird cherry splashed its vivid green exquisitely against the peculiar misty bloom of the pink and grey that hung about the pine trunks a tree that looked quite little down among these giants hardly as if it reached to their knees and yet when she stood under it it was almost as big as the lime trees in the kokensee garden she did not sit in its shade she went some distance away where she could look at it quivering in the light and leaning her back against a pine tree she would eat her bread and cucumber and feel utterly filled with the love and glory of god impossible to reason about this feeling it was there it seemed in that summer to go with her wherever she went and whatever she did she walked in blessing it was in the light she thought looking round her the wonderful light the soft radiance of the forest it was in the air warm and fresh scented and pungent it was in the feel of the pine needles and the dry crisp last year's cones she crushed as she went along it was in the cushions of moss so green and cool that she stopped to pat them or in the hot lichen that came off in flakes when her feet brushed a root it was in being young and healthy and having had one's dinner and sitting quiet and getting rested and knowing the hours ahead were roomy it was in all these things everywhere and in everything she would pick up her german grammar in a quick desire to do something in return something that gave her real trouble shall one not say somehow thank you and she engulfed huge tracts of it on these expeditions learning pages of it by heart and repeating them aloud to the pine trees and the woodpeckers when the sun began to go down she set out for home sometimes losing her way for quite a long while and then she would hurry because of robert's supper and then she would get very hot and the combined heat and hurry and cucumber to which presently was added fatigue would end in one of those triumphal appearances later on in his laboratory to which he was growing so much accustomed in january when she was just a sick thing she thought of these days as something too beautiful to have really happened there was from the first no shyness about her on the subject of babies she had not considered it during her life at home for babies were never mentioned at the palace of course she thought remembering this omission because there were none 
and it would be as meaningless to talk about babies when there were none as it would be in Cokensee to talk about bishops when there were none. She arrived, therefore, at Cokensee with her mind a blank from prejudice, and, finding the atmosphere thick with babies, immediately with her usually uninquiring pliability adopted the prevailing attitude and was not shy either. The neighborhood did not wait till they were born to talk about its own children. It did not think of its children as unmentionable until they had been baptized into decency by birth. They were important things, the most important of all in the life of the women, and it was natural to discuss them thoroughly. The childless woman was a pitied creature. The woman who had most children was proudest. She might be poor and tormented by them, but it was something she possessed more of than her neighbors. Ilsa had early inquired which room would be the nursery. That obvious pattern of respectability, Baroness Glambeck, talked of births with a detail and interest only second to that with which she talked of deaths. It seemed to her a most proper topic of conversation with any young married woman, and on her returning the Dremel call a fortnight after it had been made, she was quite taken aback and annoyed to find it had become irrelevant owing to Ingeborg's being perfectly well. Indeed, this failure of Ingeborg's entirely spoilt the visit. The Baroness, who had arrived friendly, withdrew into frost, with the manner of one who felt she had been thawed on the last occasion on false pretenses. Impossible to meet one's pastor's wife, and such an odd-looking and free-mannered one, too, with any familiarity except on the Christian footing of impending birth or death. A pastor's wife belonged to the class one is only really pleasant with in suffering or guilt. Offended, yet forced to continue the call, the baroness confined such conversation as she made to questions that had a flavor of hostility. Where was it possible to get such shoes? And did the Frau Pastor think toes so narrow good for the circulation and the housework? Ingeborg could not believe this was the motherly lady who had fussed round her bed that day at Glambeck. She felt set away at a great distance from her, on the other side of a gulf. For the first time it was borne in upon her that her marriage made a difference to her socially that here in Germany the gulf was a wide one. She was a pastor's wife, and when asked about her family, which happened early and searchingly in the call, could only give an impression of more pastors. Ah, that is the same as what we call superintendent, said the baroness, nodding several times slowly on learning that Ingeborg's father was a bishop and, after a series of questions as to the Frau Pastor's sister's marriage, nodded her head slowly several times again, and informed Ingeborg that what her sister had married was a schoolmaster. Like Herr Schultz, said the Baroness, 
Herr Schultz being the village schoolmaster. There was a photograph of Judith on the table that caught and kept the Baroness's eye, and also, in an even greater but more careful degree, the Baron's. It was Judith dressed in evening beauty, bare-necked, perfect. Ingeborg took it up with a natural pride in having such a lovely thing for her very own sister, and handed it to the Baroness. Here she is, said Ingeborg, full of natural pride. The Baroness stared in real consternation. What, she said, this is the schoolmaster's wife, this is our pastor's sister-in-law. I had thought, she broke off, and with a firm gesture put the photograph on the table again, and said she could not stay to supper. Since then there had been no intercourse with Glambeck, and the baroness did not know of the satisfactory turn things had taken at the parsonage till on Christmas Eve, from her gallery in church, to which she and the baron had decided to return on the greater festivals as a mark of their awareness that Herr Dremmel desired to make amends. She beheld during the drawn-out verses of the chorale Ingeborg drop sideways on the seat in her pew below, and remain motionless and bunched up, her hymn-book pushed crooked on the desk in front of her, and her attitude one of complete indifference to appearances. The Baroness did not nudge the Baron, because in her position one does not nudge, but her instinct was all for nudging. Herr Dremmel could not see what had happened, custom concealing him during the singing in a wooden box at the foot of the pulpit where he was busy imagining agricultural experiments. Till he came out the singing went on, and suppose, thought the Baroness, he were to forget to come out. Once he had forgotten, she had heard, and had stayed in his box, having very unfortunately been visited there by a revelation concerning potash that caught him up into oblivion for the best part of an hour, during which the chorale was gone through with an increasing faintness fifteen times. She knew about the hour, but did not know it was potash. Suppose he once again fell into a meditation. There was no verger, beadle, pew opener, or official person of any sort to take action. The congregation would do nothing that was outside the customary and the prescribed. There was no female relative such as the Frau Pastor would have had staying with her over Christmas if she had been what she ought to have been, and what every other pastor's wife so felicitously was, a German, and for herself to descend and help in the eyes of all Kokensee would have been too great a condescension besides involving her in difficulties with the wife of the forester, and the wife of the Glambeck schoolmaster, who was also the postman, both of whom were of the same social standing as the younger Frau Dremmel, and would jealously resent the least mark of what they would interpret as special favour. Herr Dremmel, however, came out punctually, and went up into the pulpit, and opened his well-worn manuscript, 
and read out the well-known text and the congregation sat as nearly thrilled as it could be waiting for the moment when his eye would fall onto his own pew and what was in it would he interrupt the service to go down and carry his wife out would the congregation have to wait till he came back again or would it be allowed to disperse to its christmas trees and rejoicings herr dremmel read on and on expounding the innocent christmas story describing its white accessories of flocks and angels and virgins and stars with the thunderous vehemence near scolding that had become a habit with him when he preached his text was peace on earth good will among men and from custom he hit his desk with his clenched fist while he read it out and hurled it at his congregation as if it were a threat he did not look in his wife's direction he was not thinking of her at all he wondered a little at the stillness and attention of his listeners nobody coughed nobody shuffled the school children hung over the edge of the organ loft motionless and intent baron glambeck remained awake at the end of the service herr dremmel had to stay according to custom in his wooden box till everyone had gone and it was not till he came out of that to go through the church to its only door that he perceived ingeborg for a moment he thought she was waiting for him in an attitude of inappropriately childish laxity and he was about to rebuke her when it flashed upon him that she had fainted that it was the second time in ten days and that he was indeed and without any doubt at last the happiest of men in spite of the bitter wind that was raking the churchyard every person who had been inside the church was waiting outside to see the pastor come out the glambecks and elders of the church would have waited in any case on christmas eve to wish him the compliments of the season and receive his in return but on this occasion they waited with pleasure as well as patience and the rest of the congregation waited too they were rewarded by seeing him presently appear in the doorway in his gown and bands carrying the bundle that was the still unconscious frau pastor as if she were a baby his face illuminated with joy and pride it was as entertaining as a funeral double congratulations were poured upon him double and treble handshakes of the hand he protruded for the purpose from beneath ingeborg's relaxed body and his spectacles as he responded were misty to the immense gratification of the crowd with happy tears this was the first popular thing ingeborg had done since her arrival she could not if she had planned it out with all her care and wits have achieved anything more dramatically ingratiating the day was the most appropriate day in the whole year it had been well worth waiting thought her overjoyed robert in order to receive such a christmas gift the baroness who with the baron was most cordial felt flattered 
as if only of course less perfectly for she herself had produced her children in actual time for the tree her example had been taken to heart and followed the village was deeply gratified to see an unconscious frau pastor carried through its midst and her limp body had all the prestige of a corpse everybody was moved and pleased and when ingeborg after much persuasion woke up to the world again on the sofa of the parsonage parlour it was to live through the happiest day she had yet had in her life the day of robert's greatest joy in her and devotion and care and pride and petting once more and for this day she outstripped the fertilizers in interest and the laboratory was a place forgotten she was pampered she lay on the sofa feeling quite well again but staying obediently on it because he told her to and she loved him to care watching him with happy eyes as he tremendously hovered he finished the arranging of the tree for her and fixed the candles on it interrupting himself every now and then to come and kiss her hands and pat her beams seemed to proceed from him and penetrate into the remotest corners in a land where all homes were glowing that christmas night this little home glowed the brightest the candles of the tree shone down on ingeborg curled up in the sofa corner talking and laughing gaily but with an infinitely proud and solemn gladness in her heart that at last he believed that at last she was fairly started on the road of the higher duty that at last she was going to be able to do something back something in return for all this happiness that had come to her through and because of him ilse was called in and came very rosy and shining from careful washing to be given her presents there were surprises for ingeborg she had to shut her eyes while they were arranged that touched and astonished her so totally blind had robert seemed to be for weeks past to anything outside his work a pot of hyacinths twisted about with pink crinkly paper and satin bows that he must have got with immense difficulty and elaborate precautions to prevent her seeing it a volume of hein's poetry a pair of fur gloves a silver curb bracelet a smiling pig of marzipan with a label round its neck ich bin glück she not realizing what a german christmas meant had only a cigar case for him and when her lap full of his presents and her wrist decorated with a bracelet in which he showed an honest pride carefully explaining the trick of its fastening and assuring her it was real silver and that little women he well knew liked being hung with these barbaric splendors she put her arm around his neck and apologized for her dreadful ignorance of custom and want of imagination and solitary unsurprising miserable cigar-case when she did this 
with her cheek laid on his furry head he drew her very close to him and blessed her blessed her his little wife and that greatest of gifts that she was bringing him both of them had wet eyes when this blessing solemnly administered and received was over it was done in the presence of ilsa who looked on benevolently and at the end came and shook their hands and joined in her thanks for what she had been given her congratulations on the happy event of the coming summer july said ilsa after a moment's reflection we must furnish that room she added ingeborg felt as though her very bones were soft with love chapter eighteen but these high moments of swimming in warm emotion do not last she found they are not final they are not as she had fondly believed a state of understanding and cloudless love at last attained to and rested in radiantly she discovered that the littlest things put an end to them just such a little thing as its being bedtime for instance is enough and the mood does not return and not only does it not return but it seems forgotten she became aware of this next morning at breakfast and it caused at first an immense surprise she had got the coffee ready with the glow of the evening before still warming her rosily she was still altogether thinking dear robert and wondering her head on one side as she cut the bread ilsa was a little cross after the marzipan and a smile on her lips at the happiness the world contains and when he came in she ran to him shiningly ready to take up the mood at the exact point where bedtime had broken it off the night before but herr dremmel had travelled a thousand miles in thought since then he hardly saw her he kissed her mechanically and sat down to eat to him she was as every day and usual again as the bread and coffee of his breakfast she was his wife who was going presently to be a mother it was normal ordinary and satisfactory and the matter being settled and the proper first joy and sentiment felt he could go on with more concentration than ever with his work for there would not now be the perturbing moments so frequent in the last six months when his wife's condition or rather negation of condition had thrust itself with the annoyance of an irrepressible weed up among his thinking the matter was settled and he put it aside as every worker must put the extraneous aside just on this morning he was profoundly concerned with a function of potash in the formation of carbohydrates he had sat up late long after ingeborg feeling as if she were dissolved in stars and happily certain that robert felt just as liquidly starry had gone to bed considering potash he wanted more starch in his grain more woody fibre in his straw she was not across the passage into their bedroom before his mind had sprung back to potash 
more starch in his grain more woody fibre in his straw less fungoid disease on his mangles at breakfast his thoughts were so sticky with the glucose and cane sugar of digestible carbohydrates that he could not even get them free for his newspaper but sat quite silently munching bread and butter his eyes on his plate well robert said ingeborg smiling at him round the coffee-pot a smile in which lurked the joyful importance of the evening before well little one he said absently not looking at her well robert she said again challengingly what is it little one he asked looking up with a slight irritation of the interrupted what you're not pleased any more she asked pretending indignation pleased about what she stared at him at this without pretending anything about what she repeated her lips dropping apart he had forgotten she thought this really very extraordinary she poured herself out a cup of coffee slowly thinking he had forgotten the thing he had said so often that he wanted most was a thing he could forget once he had the certain promise of it in a night the candles on the christmas tree in the corner were not more burned out and finished than his tender intensity of feeling of the evening before well that was robert that was the way of course of clever men but the tears he had felt enough for tears it was without a doubt that he had felt tremendously how wonderful then she thought slowly dropping sugar into her cup for even the memory of it to be wiped out well that too was robert he did not cling as she did to moments but passed on intelligently and she was merely stupid to suppose any one with his brains would linger would loiter about her indefinitely gloating over their happiness she left her coffee and got up and went over to him and kissed him dear robert she murmured accommodating herself to him proud even now that he could be so deeply preoccupied with profound thoughts as to forget an event so really great for after all a child to be born a new life to be launched was not that something really great yet his thoughts her husband's thoughts were greater dear robert she murmured and kissed him proudly but the winter in spite of these convictions of happiness and of having every reason for pride was a time that she dragged through with difficulty she who had never thought of her body who had found in it the perfect instrument for carrying out her will was forced to think of it almost continuously it mastered her she had endlessly to humour it before she could use it even a little she seemed forever to be having to take it to a sofa and lay it down flat and not make it do anything she seemed forever to be trying to persuade it that it did not mind the smell of the pig or the smell that came across from glambeck when the wind was that way of potato spirits being made in the distillery there when these smells got through the window chinks she would shut her eyes and think hard of the scent of roses and pinks and of that lovely orange scent 
of the orange-coloured lupin she had seen grown everywhere in the summer but sooner or later her efforts however valiant ended in the creeping coldness the icy perspiration of sick faintness as the months went on her body became fastidious even about daily inevitable smells such as the roasting of coffee and the frying of potatoes which was extremely awkward when one had to see these things oneself and it often happened that ilsa coming out of the scullery or in from the yard fresh and energetic with health would find her mistress dropped on a chair with her head on the kitchen table in quite an absurd condition considering that everybody assured her it was not an illness at all of feeling as though it were one ilsa would look at her with a kind of amused sympathy the frau pastor will be worse before she is better she would say cheerfully and if things were very bad and ingeborg white and damp clung to her in a single struggle to feel not white and damp she used the formula first heard on the lips of baroness glambeck and nodded encouragingly though not without a certain air of something that was a little like pleasure and said ya ya those who have said a must also say b when ingeborg's spirit was at its lowest in these unequal combats she would drop her head and shut her eyes and feel she hated oh she faintly coldly sickly hated b the fun of housekeeping of doing everything yourself wore extremely thin during the next few months she no longer jumped out of bed eager to get to her duties again and bless the beginning of each new day by a charming and cheerful breakfast table for her man she felt heavy reluctant to face the business of dressing sure that no sooner would she be on her feet than she would feel ill again she talked of getting another servant a cook and herr dremmel who left these arrangements entirely to her agreed at once but when it came to taking the necessary steps to advertising or journeying into konigsberg to an agency she flagged and did nothing it was all so difficult she might faint on the way she might be sick and she could not ask robert to help her because she did not know what problem nearing a triumphant solution she might not disastrously interrupt end of section seven